You're listening to KPCR 101.9 FM Santa Cruz. Welcome to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. And I have one announcement this week. I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop through the Los Angeles Public Library. So no matter where you are in the world, even Santa Cruz, you can join us on October 14th at 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to LAPL.org. That's LAPL.org. And find the event and register. October 14th, 6 p.m. Free writing, writing workshop. And we do it via Zoom. All right. And now the author, authors, the, the writers, they make the speaks. Hi, I'm Mitzi Soretto, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Mitzi Soretto. Did I say that right? Soretto. Soretto. Okay, I'll start over. Okay. Hi, you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Today on the show, we have Mitzi Soretto. She's the author of Florida Gothic, Pride and Prejudice, Hidden Lust, and now the editor of The Best New True Crime Stories, Small Towns. Mitzi, how are you? Hi, Tony. I'm fine. How are you? I'm okay. So you've got a Z in your name that's not pronounced <laughs> right after the S. What, 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 uh, what is the origin of that last name? What, that's, that's, that sounds Eastern European. It's Hungarian, and, we, and Hungarians like their Zs, just like the Poles. <laughs> oh, very cool. I'm fascinated with Hungary. I went, I, I went to the Czech Republic in the 90s. And I always wanted to go to um, Budapest because I was like the big place to go in the uh, in the '90s. If you were a hipster, uh, do you have family in Hungary still? Um, I I, th- I know there's some relatives there because somebody who is apparently I don't know some distant cousin keeps liking my uh, Facebook live events that I do my uh, one-to-one interviews with my contributors, and I'll get these like thumbs up and hi from Budapest and all. <laughs> So they're there somewhere. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, you keep liking that. I'm going to be staying with you on my vacation once COVID lifts. Trust me. I'm, yeah, I'm actually wondering if I should reach out and say, hey, listen, um, you know, um, I know Brexit is happening, but can, can, can I move there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, um, it's, it's so I'm glad that you brought up the, your uh, contributors for the, for the book and you're, you actually have, you do interviews with your contributors on your uh, on your website. I saw a couple of those. Yeah, they're at, they stream live to my my uh, Mitzi Soretto fan page on Facebook, and and this all came about because of COVID. You know, obviously with events being canceled, and and you know you just can't go in places and do things. Uh, I I thought, hey, maybe I should give this a go. And I've actually, uh, this is, I did it for the last book, the Serial Killers book. And I'm in the process of going through authors right now with the Small Towns book. I've done three so far and I have a few more in the pipeline and we'll go through the rest of the year, perhaps into early next year, depending on how many people bite. (laughs) This, this, uh, this whole book event, uh, the, the, the killing of book events is killing my soul because, you know, I used to go to one or two a week. Um, you know, I live right by Skylight Books. So there's always something there or there's always other options happening. And, and also there was a lot of times where I would just leave early because I would like be like, all right, I can't talk to people tonight. And now even in my despair times when I don't want to talk to someone, I'm like, I wish I just, I wish I had the option. 
I wish I had the option to be disgusted and want to be alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's affected the industry. I mean, it's it, but it, but in a way, it's 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 um, uh, motivated people to be more creative. I mean, we've got like author readings now that are being done like live streams. I mean, Patrick Stewart, or you know, they, the the actor, he's doing like Shakespearean sonnet readings. So I mean, there's a whole lot of things going on. So I mean, uh, you have to kind of find a little bit of a bright spot and 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 uh, go with the flow and and find a way to make something work. I think you're an optimist. Oh, well, no, I'm not actually. I've, pre- I've been a, a glass half empty person since I came out of the womb. But, um... <laughs> are, are you from the Midwest by any chance? Did you no, know? Oh, no, okay. I'm, I'm from all over. Why do I have a twangy Midwest? No, there was, there was, I thought there was a little bit of Midwest in there. That's just, that was me just trying to be uh, what do you call it? Uh, I, I'm really interested in uh, the the little the, the subtlety of accents. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 pretty mixed up. I mean, I was born actually in in Ohio, if you can believe it. But I mean, I left as a as a baby. I, I packed yeah. my little diaper bag and I just took off. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, parents I have, suck. I'm out. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> out of here. Yeah. So I mean, I've I've you know, I lived in South Florida. I grew up in South Florida. I lived in um you know, I was an Angelino for many years. I lived in the Bay Area. I lived in Seattle. Um, I I lived in the United Kingdom. I'm British now. So I mean, I. I've, I've got such a hodgepodge and in the UK, everyone asked if I was Canadian, which is definitely more of an advantage these days to be. <laughs> yeah. When, when I was traveling in Europe, uh, you know, in the nineties, it was always, they would ask me, where are you from? I would always either say, I would say San Francisco. Cause I didn't want to say the United States because there's just stigma with that. You know, <laughs> when you said San Francisco, they're like, Oh, you're gay. <laughs> you know, just like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like that's the only place you could be gay is San Francisco, right? <laughs> it was in the 90s, man. It was, it was, I don't know what it was, but um, for people outside of San Francisco, that was, I, for some odd reason, that was their reference point. It was funny. <laughs> so how, how, do you, how, do you, um, how do you go, okay, I want to I write this, I want to put this book together, and I want to get these authors how does the whole, how does the gathering happen? How do you pull it all together? Like, um, for, like for this book, what was the initial thought? And you go, all right, that, and now here I do this. You know, I've, I've done a lot of anthologies in the past in different genres. So I, I kind of have um, my little routine. And uh, the first thing I'll do is obviously I put up a calls for submissions at my website. Uh, but I then I start hitting every conceivable place I can that uh, is interested in, in getting like um, in opportunities for writers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then, of course, I have a list of I've accumulated over time of writers who say, hey, I want to be on your list. Just let me know when your next book is in process. So I, I basically just bounce it out there and then things get bounced even further. I mean, I'll, I'll get like someone will have found something in a place that I didn't know anything about, because as I said, it just kind of just exponentially just goes out there. So, um, you know, I might have, um, I might invite a handful of people, you know, personally and say, hey, I think you'd be cool for this project. Because I, I like a lot of interesting mix of people, not just all people doing the same thing, like not just say um, all true crime writers. You know, I, I like to have maybe a fiction, a crime fiction author, a journalist, etc. So I'll, I mean, I might invite a handful of people and then I just leave the rest to fate and see what comes in. 
Very cool. And, and I, you know, for you're you're in you're in the UK right now. What city are you in? Uh, I'm actually not. I'm actually in the Pacific Northwest right now. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, I got really confused there. For some reason, I thought you. No, don't Los worry Angeles. about it. I like to keep people on their toes. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're an optimist, and you're confusing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And a pessimist cool. too. <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering. I was like, wait a second. Are we on a time change? Because I thought maybe I was. Yeah. Anyway. No, we're both on the West Coast right now. Unless you're not okay. in LA and you're fooling no. me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. A, I'm. I'm in LA. The um, what? Pride and Prejudice, Hidden Lust. What is that? That's I, I, I want in. I'm in. <laughs> oh, that was a, a really fun project. I mean, I've always loved Pride and Prejudice, um, and I, I will confess I'm not ashamed. Uh, I totally love the BBC TV version with Colin Firth. I'm sorry, I don't care what anyone says. Colin Firth was the Mr. Darcy, and no one could ever touch Mr. Darcy but Colin Firth. Well, uh, he's the only Mr. Darcy I know of. So I yeah. so and that's because of the many women I've known who are fans of his. And, he just he just made that role. He, that was just it. So I mean, I totally loved that. Um, and then um, I came up with the idea to do a sort of. I hate to say it's an erotic version because it's really a sex parody. It is a parody and, and, and there's just no way you can read the book with a straight face. And anyone who was looking for something that was like straight up erotic, uh, I think got a real surprise. There's a stigma with erotic, with the word erotica, because the minute someone says it's erotica, I just put it down. I don't even want to look know, at it. I know, I know, I know. Tony, listen, I, I went through that for years because I, I ended up working in erotic fiction, and I've, I worked very hard to get rid of that stigma and to elevate the genre and to make it as a legitimate form of literature. And I think I achieved that, but I, I it got to a point where I did what I I finished, there was nothing more to be done, and it was time to move on. But I have to agree with you. I mean, it, it has a stigma, and some of that stigma is well-earned. Uh, right, because yeah. that your fellow authors aren't doing a great job. Well, you know, I used to, I used to, especially when I was in the UK, because I, I pioneered um, erotic writing workshops, uh, something that happened by accident. I was, in, I was invited by a writer's group in Doncaster in, in the north of England to say, hey, why don't you come over and do an erotic writing class? I'm like, okay. Uh, and I turned it into a cottage industry. And suddenly I was like going on, uh, like going to Greece, teaching erotic writing for, you know, on Greek islands. I did that three times. Uh, I was invited to to literature festivals and I would run workshops. So, um, and my whole point was, um, this is not, this does not have to be a one-handed read. It could be a two-handed read. And you should not throw away rules of Wait, writing. Wait, is that a masturbation? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that's, well, I'm, yeah, that's part of the stigma. That's part of the yeah. stigma that, that these books were like um, a sex toy. And I'm like, I'm sorry, right. but I don't do sex toy books. Yeah. It's because um, there's a there's a cheap way to do it, and then there's like let's craft this as a let's as do a, something classy. Yeah. yeah. What's the demographic of uh, people who take like uh, you take erotica uh, writing classes? Oh God, I was like I had it all over the place. I mean, I've only done it in in, in Europe, so I can't uh -huh. I can't um, tell you what the demographic would be in the United States. But um, I had people um, from all age groups. Uh, some people were like aspiring writers. They, they really did want to hone and refine. Uh, I once had a prolific romance novelist take my class because she was, um, she struggled with doing sexy scenes without yeah. them being really trite. And she wanted to 
take something that would help break her out of it. And she told me later that it did help. So I was pretty pleased about that. The, the sex scene is hard for me too. Um, Cause I, well, I, I tend to write more about, uh, you know, my, my, my screwing up that, that tends to, or, or my, or if my character screwing up, it's a loose version of me, how, how, how I, the, the parts that are bad, but, but what does it take to write a good sex scene? What, what's, what's some of the. Well, you know, I used to joke cause I, I would be, I, I was interviewed so many times in the UK about this. I mean, I got like national yeah. coverage in the Telegraph, the Guardian, they would ask me all about this. Yeah. And I used to say that you need to get rid of granny looking over the shoulder thing. You know, okay. the grandma's watching what you're writing. You need to kind of forget that granny is there or the ghost of granny. And you just need to approach it like you approach anything else. I mean, I, I mean, if you're writing a really gory murder scene, you know, okay, it seems like that's fine to do. Dismemberment and all kinds of hideous things, that's acceptable. But then when it comes to something that is like not really harmful, <laughs> why is there a problem? And some people pay extra to have their granny stand over their shoulder. <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole other, that's another show, Tony. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, it, I, when did you start doing the, the, the your TV, your online TV? Uh, that, um, I, God, when does that, when did I start that? Jesus, it's like a different life. And you, and you shot episodes in LA, right? Cause I, that's no, what, no, that was all in, 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 oh. I was all around London. It was, it was okay. London. That, that's how I labeled it. Um, yeah. I, I got this idea, I, I kind of was getting like um, meeting a lot of people in the tech world and, the, and that was when the uh, online, you know, web TV thing was really taking off and, and some of it was so hideous and I thought, well, hell, um, can I do any worse than that? I don't think so. <laughs> All great things come from that very statement you just said. I, I yeah. believe that 100%. Yeah, so I, I actually put out a, um, a call for a cameraman or a camera woman or a camera whatever on Facebook. Uh, I, I think, I don't even remember where I, you put it, maybe the marketplace or something. And I got this reply within like a day from this uh, chap in London who did a lot of red carpet film and TV film events, you know, premieres. Yeah. And he says, hey, this sounds like fun. Uh, and I said, well, I can't pay. He says, that's okay. This still sounds like fun. Yeah. So we met at the, you know, where you usually have a business meeting. We met at the pub. Right. <laughs> and that was it. We got on really well and we just started to do these videos and have a good time. They, it's, it's funny because, you know, things sometimes, a lot of times things don't pay, but there's a lot of currency and fun. And there's a lot of currency in doing projects that are like passion projects, you know? It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we just, um, it was a couple of the events actually, you know, he, he was instrumental in because they were actually uh, literally one block from his flat in London. Uh, his local pub is the one we did. Uh, the first one, which was, I think is my favorite. It was the pub sing along and it was, you know, that doesn't, that hardly exists anymore. Yeah. And, and then, man, they had some awesome people. They, I mean, fabulous singers. Um, they had this old lady on the piano and she really played those keys like no, Nobody's business. So, uh, so yeah, so we had fun with that. Um, we did a um, a car show. 
which coincidentally was right in the same neighborhood. People thought, like, can't you go somewhere else? But it just happened to be there. So that was fun because um, uh, Jimmy Chu had his store there, the shoe designer. So I dragged Jimmy out for an interview. Uh, and I got an interview with Tiff Needell, who was a Formula One race car driver, and he was on Top Gear for many years. So, so we had some cool celebrity interviews with that one. And and, and uh, I I love I love the uh, the art of interviewing or the art quote <laughs> loosely yeah. yeah but uh, what, I mean what I have found is just dive into interviewing's nerve wracking especially if you're interviewing like celebrities or whatever but just to dive into it and keep doing it then all of a sudden you kind of start to go oh wait okay you know what I might ask a really dumb question they might get mad at me and it'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of wing things. I mean, sometimes I try to make notes, but I just find that notes hamper me, and I just just like to jump in. And, and if the person's got the right personality, then then that's fine, you know, then it works. But when, when they're a hard interview, and I'm sure you've encountered many, uh, it's like, oh, God, kill me now. <laughs> Can you name your hardest interview? Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> well, actually, I... I <laughs> I can't think of anything offhand. I did do a really bizarre one where I was prowling London for jellied eel. And I was literally stopping people in the street asking where I could find jellied eel. And I have this one guy who glared at me with like, it was really weird. <laughs> you can a, see him in the video, actually. You can find him. So You'll know who I mean. Yeah. And, and approaching the real people is harder than setting up interviews. Uh, well, I approached this one guy on a bench, and he was really fun. He was just rattling away like, you know, we had nothing to do. <laughs> and yeah. He had nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I, there's a couple interviews that I've actually never aired on Drinks with Tony, and I won't say who they are because they went so south. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I can't, I, out of respect for all the other people who've come on the podcast, I won't air this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know it's it's hard because it's like it, you're you're doing us a favor, you know. You're you're bringing us on to talk about our work and get us exposure. And uh, so, I mean, I feel a sense of responsibility to turn out a decent interview. I mean, I'm I want to entertain my hosts and I want to entertain people listening. So, yeah, yeah, and just and just have fun. That's, yeah, just just it's I I think um, I think a lot of times people get too too wrapped up in themselves if they if they they feel too serious. You know, it's just like. Oh, you know, we're, we're all humans. We're yeah. writers. Well, I, you know, I suppose you probably also encountered some ego issues and, and that also throws in another <laughs> element that makes it yeah. difficult. It's actually rare though. It's so rare. It's maybe one in 50. Oh, okay. That's pretty decent. Yeah. I, I, it's, uh, and even if there is a little bit of ego, I, 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 I try to find ways just to steer it back, you know, cause it's, I can't approach this with too much ego. I have to have a light touch and a um, kind of a sense of humor about myself on it, you know, where yeah. Just, Cause, yeah, I can't even listen to these interviews. Like I don't listen to these interviews after we do them. I check the levels and then uh, cut the beginning and the end. And I do all the editing at the beginning and the end. And then it goes out and it just, um, yeah. People be like, Oh my God, I heard this thing that you said the other day. And I was like, I, did that interview two months ago i don't remember that conversation because i can't i can't listen myself i get that self-conscious i don't do you get that way 
uh, I'm okay with it because I, but then I find I criticize myself. I'll be looking and I'm like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, that wasn't very good. Or I look like I'm wiggling my nose, like the old bewitched show all the time. Cause I mean, my, every time I get on these damn things, especially the Facebook live, I'll have like my sinuses will start kicking in from allergies. And I'm like, my nose is just going like this. And it's always, yeah, it's always on the high stakes ones, right? Or she, oh, <laughs> but you know, be, you know, a lot of actors say they can't watch themselves on the screen either. I never really understood that, but then I understood it after, um, after the film I wrote was uh, created on, on the screen and I can only watch it three times. But, um, but I understood, I was like, oh my God, the process of being on set versus the process of a final cut of seeing a final cut is such a different thing it's two different animals i i'm probably just too self-critical so that's that's my problem but i mean i, I will like sort of watch it back because because i'm so paranoid that something got screwed up i want to make sure that it's okay through the whole thing from start to finish <laughs> yeah yeah you you hit on exactly what my weird thing is because i know that i'll edit an hour interview down to five minutes because i'll just be like that was a dumb question that was a dumb response <laughs> <laughs> shorter and shorter and then i'll just be like you know what let's just do a best of show and i'll have to like interview 10 people for an hour of content oh i hope i don't end up in that <laughs> oh no 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 you're a, no we're uh yeah so no no you're not okay <laughs> I, you are a pessimist you went straight no, to pessimism. You know, because I'm just like, I'm one of those people that when I would like, when I want to do something, I'll think of every conceivable thing that could possibly go wrong. But get this, it's always that one that I somehow didn't think of that goes wrong. Yeah, and it, oh, I do that. I do that for everything in my life. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of all the worst case scenarios. It's, yes. it's just like, just walking down the street sometimes, I'm like, okay, what drive-by shooting is going to happen now? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, nowadays, I think it's really easy to be thinking of that. Every bad thing can happen. Yeah. Well, when I it already like, happened, Tony, I know what I sometimes I forget, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, just pop outside. And I forget my mask. And then like, I see all these people with masks. And I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot we're in the zombie apocalypse. I got to go get my mask. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll basically, I've got one in the car all the time, and I have a spare one in the glove box in case the um, the elastic bands break on that one, and then I need another one. So it's like, always be prepared. Wait, it's like, wait. wasn't that thing your mother would say, always wear clean underwear in case you get into an accident? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um it's so funny because remember when, like, at the beginning of COVID, everyone was like, "Let's go get toilet paper," <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and it just it seemed so urgent then. Yeah. And then, and what one thing I was doing when I would come home uh, from the store or whatever, I would wash my keys. That's yeah. how crazy I was. I was washing my keys every single time, and it and I had an electronic lock for my car. I totally shorted it out. Oh. Well, listen, listen, I'm pretty upset because speaking of Mr. Darcy, um, I have a Mr. Darcy key ring that I got at Jane Austen's house in, in, in when I went there before I wrote the book. And I, I've been wiping my keys just with like um, the liquid just on a cloth, but yeah. I got lazy and I sprayed it with Lysol and now it infiltrated inside and the little pictures all buckled. I'm like, oh, shit. So, you know, <laughs> Mr. Exactly Darcy. <laughs> Where is Jane's? Where is Jane Austen's house? 
Well, she's had a, uh, she's been in more than one, but I went to the one in Charlton, which is in Hampshire. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed it. And, and I actually went there before I started the book. I suppose I wanted to commune with her and get her approval for my book. And uh, it, yeah, she said, cool, go for it. <laughs> and is she buried? Is she in a grave? Is she buried somewhere? Yeah, I'm trying. I, I don't remember offhand where she's buried. Sorry, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> I imagine I, she's somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I get a fascination with uh, visiting author graves. It, it makes me feel like I'm closer to the author. I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know. Is that morbid? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's people that like to visit graves. I mean, uh, I mean. I used to like walking through graveyards in the UK because they're just so fascinating. And then you see so many graves that date back centuries and you just think, oh my God, especially when you see all the graves that were like for infants and then you see the mother and, you know, it makes you really realize how bad things were. I've had some of my most depressing times in cemeteries and some of my greatest times in cemeteries. You know, when you're a kid and and you go like drinking and, you know. (laughs) No, I haven't done that, I'm afraid. You never drank in a cemetery? <laughs> no, I haven't. I've lived oh. a sheltered life, Tony. Why, why, how did that not happen? How does something like that not happen with an adult? Oh, I don't know. I just, um, I, I was really sort of um, um, an antisocial kid in some ways. I kind of um, would sequester myself in my bedroom and I would draw and paint and write and play the guitar. Uh, so I just sort of was fine with my own company. Oh, really? Mm. Even, and like even in your late teen years? Or? Oh, yeah. That even, even more so. That's really? especially when, yes. Oh. That, I didn't what, engage with anybody my age. I would, they would be beneath me. I couldn't engage with them. I mean, I just really had maybe a couple of friends and, and that was it. I just hated the whole uh, school experience with a passion. Did I hate that experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, yes, some people who have their best years in high school just aren't really good adults, but, <laughs> but you know, the, the, the rest of us are trying to, you know, I was trying to skateboard and I remember, you know, Drinking in cemeteries, it just felt so just like, oh, my God, we're sitting on someone's grave with rum and coke, you know. (laughs) Rum and coke, the gateway drug. (laughs) Did anybody, like, say, shut up out there, you're making too much racket? No, I'm sure I got really bad karma from a lot of things where it's like (laughs) the the bad things that have happened in my life are probably because I was uh, drunk on someone's gravestone and the – They've haunted me since. So, yeah. oh, well, you know, a lot of the um, a lot of the churches and cathedrals in in England have the uh, literally the graves. You're walking over them as you walk through the church because they're underneath. And that's a bit creepy. I remember once many years ago before I moved there, I was uh, visiting with a friend and she would like hop and skip because she didn't want to walk on anyone's grave. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I sort of tiptoe. I don't want to bother anyone. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I remember when I was, uh, when, when I was a young buck and I was driving, cause I'm from San Francisco and I was driving down to San Diego and I had to visit Bukowski's grave. He's buried in uh, San oh. Pedro. Oh, is he? Yeah, so I was just like, oh, I was all excited to go. And I was like, I didn't know how to do it. So I'm like, well, I guess I got to go to the cemetery office and find out where it is. So I'm walking in all like kind of, you know, in my like kind of scared going, okay, am I doing the right thing? Is this how it works? And the lady looks up and she goes, Bukowski? And I'm like, 
<laughs> it's like she caught me. She caught me red-handed. It was so obvious. I was they, the, you know, they probably get ten of me a day in there. Oh uh, like, well, it's like Jim Morrison's grave in Paris. I mean, that's just become this uh, hangout, and I, I, I imagine it still is. And people who weren't even alive when he was around are going. Have you been to that grave? No, it's something I would, if, if, if the opportunity presents itself, I'd go. I mean, I'm just sort of fascinated by the whole thing. And I just, I really love that whole 60s, maybe I should call it a mythology if it was a mythology, but I just, I, there was some wonderful music from there. And I mean, I think the doors were brilliant. And uh, I, I would go if, like I said, if I happen to be in the neighborhood, I would definitely stop by and pay my respects. Yeah, it's, it's in Père Lachaise. Um and I went a couple times when I was, it, that was like one of my first stops every single time I was in Paris. It was just like straight to Père Lachaise. And then, um, and I always knew that there would be other idiots like me with big bottles of wine just sitting there <laughs> drinking at the grave. And um, yeah, that's when you really drink in the cemetery, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they stationed a, a permanent security guard there though, because the, someone stole his head, uh, the headstone. Oh, uh, uh, it was, um, like a sculpture of him on top of the headstone. So someone stole it sometime in the nineties. And so every time you go now, there's just a security guard all dressed up standing right next to it. It's like everyone pays homage. <laughs> I don't think Jim would appreciate that. He was a bit of a rebel and not an authority person. <laughs> I don't think the other uh, people in the cemetery appreciate it. Cause they're like, uh, excuse me, you're sitting on me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd's getting too large. Oh dear. Oh well, I don't know. Someone always has to ruin it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's uh, I, we just try to be the ones who don't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully not. But I know there's there's um I I believe um in the 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 uh the cemetery in Highgate in London uh Car I think Karl Marx is buried there, and I believe that's all blocked off and has no more public access, whereas it used to have public access. So I'm not quite sure what that's about. And I think Michael Jackson, you can't publicly get to him either. You have to be like, we went straight to Michael Jackson. I don't know why we went Karl Marx yeah, to Michael Jackson. Karl Marx to Michael Jackson. <laughs> That's a stretch. <laughs> I don't know how we did that. But um, <laughs> but I, I, it's because I think, because I wanted to go see if I can visit Michael Jackson's grave and, you know, and maybe put some photos of little kids on top. But... Um, <laughs> No, but, uh, but yeah, you can't visit Michael Jackson's grave. Uh, yeah, I think, I'll, yeah, well, where is he buried anyway? I think he's buried near Neverland. That, um, oh, that makes so, sense. Yeah. You know, oh, what about, you know, I'm, that, that guy, it's like if he wasn't a pedophile, boy, he got a bad uh, rap. But man, did he lean into that, didn't he? He's like, I'm going to build a, I'm going to build Ferris wheels and give candy. <laughs> It's like a pedophile's dream. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "What trench coat shall I wear today with nothing underneath?" <laughs> what what candy should I put in my pocket? Right. Yeah, I, do you think I can get Timmy with a Starburst or bubble gum? <laughs> Starburst, I mean. Star <laughs> Starburst, Starbu yeah. yeah, Starburst is the name of my science fiction novel I'll never write. Uh, <laughs> we all have those novels that seem to never get written. I know. Do you have a novel that you've been working on that keeps getting put aside? 
Yes, I, I do, unfortunately. I have one that it, it's been more than a decade and um, and it's still being put aside because I have started another one, which I had to put aside because of um, uh, finishing up these, the uh, Small Towns book, plus another book that I'm doing the third volume. So it's like I had to put it aside, but I'm really looking forward to finishing up the third book so I could get back into that one because I've promised myself, I have a really good feeling about this one. And I'm probably sure every author says, I know this is gonna be the one. But um, I just have a very, uh, I don't know, there's something really dragging me back to working on that, as opposed to the one that's from 10 plus years ago when I'm like, eh, you know. <laughs> that's how get, I mean, that's how books get out. A writer has to have enough oomph to go, this is gonna be it. This, yeah. this I've. You know, when I'm writing, I'm, I'm expecting the Nobel Prize for Literature. I'm expecting the screenplay adaptation. I'm expecting the Oscar. You know, then it comes out and no one cares. But at least, <laughs> at least it's, it's there. It's sad, isn't it? It really is sad. What a business. Why do we do it? I don't know. We must enjoy poverty and disappointment. <laughs> I. It's so true. I also think it's like, as far as like writers are concerned, it's the only club of weirdos that I totally understand. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I, I was basically going to be some sort of a creative artist. That was, I, that was my destiny. And I, I kind of thought it was going to be as an, as an artist, a fine artist, you know, a painter and whatever. And musician perhaps and and it, it was it was three directions I could have gone in and then serendipity got me published and that was it I said okay I think that's a sign that I did actually sell something uh so I better stick with this and I've stuck and stuck and stuck yeah you're like oh my god I should have kept on that guitar because music licensing is great <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's yeah. I, I, well, the guitar is hard on the fingers. It was always a bother, even with nylon strings, and that was one thing that bothered me. And I did play piano too. Oh so, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. I, I I think the writing is maybe better for my my um, reclusiveness. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it does. Uh, that's the whole thing with um, like the pandemic especially at the beginning because some friends of mine were like, Oh, this is, this is working great for you. Cause this is what you do. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I have to live life and then also write. So yes, I do get to write amongst myself, but I have to go out there and be irritated by people at a cafe or, you know, hey, the, the things you need have, source material. Yeah. Or just, you know, just, I need to walk about the humans and, and just, you know, have places to sit. Um, yeah, and have people bug me. I like to be, I really miss being bugged so much. You mean like, can I have your autograph, Tony? You kind of bugging? Oh, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> you are an optimist. <laughs> <laughs> no, more like someone talking on speakerphone at, on their cell phone at a cafe that's really, you know, crowded. And they're like, uh-huh. Well, I hate Dorothy, you know. So it's like, did you see her nails the other night? And in those situations, I usually, you know, as I'm like working on something, I'm like, no, I didn't see her nails the other night. I'll try to like chime in on it. It's, just like, it's like being on the train in London or on, in, and it's like the phones, everyone's phones. And then it's like someone will call someone else and they answer, I'm on the train. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. God. And then some of the personal conversations you hear, I'm like, oh my God, you know, I wouldn't even tell this stuff to a best friend, let alone having the entire train car overhearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. slice of life, yeah. 
And it's so interesting that there's a whole generation of people that will know nothing but that. Because I remember even going to see concerts when the first iPhone came out. And there was like three people who I wanted to kill. Because I didn't want I didn't want to look at the concert through there. Yes, it's phone. right up there held up on yeah. the phone. And I, I, I used to I used to go like this. No, not in front of me. I know. Get mad. I'd be like, one, you're not a journalist. Two, if you had a journalist pass, you'd only get the first three songs. We're on the th- we're on like the fourth or fifth song. Move. You're you're not a journalist. No, now, it's really annoying. I know. I've been to concerts as well, and there's everybody with the phones. And and then you no, know, it's funny about the concerts. And I suppose this is an aside, but I was um at the uh, a friend of mine took me to see Depeche Mode in London at the O2, and I had, I love and, Depeche Mode. I know. I've seen I them love once, but I love Dave Gahan is a oh my god. god. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's, he's aging pretty well. I have to say, I mean, most yeah. people, most people in the industry do not look too well. I mean, even when they hit 40, they start literally looking bad, but yeah. he's, he's holding up. He's holding up in spite of all the things he's gone through. So I finally got to see Depeche Mode, but of course me, I'm not tall. I'm about five, five. I get the tallest geezer in the entire auditorium in front of me in the t- stadium rather than right in front of me. So I, I actually politely said, excuse me, but I really cannot see over you, and I'm a shorty. So he swapped places. Oh, that's sweet of him. But that's England. Yeah. Here I'd probably be bashed in the States. I'd be bashed in the head probably for asking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm six foot, and I've been to shows, and I'll notice someone short behind me, and I'll be like, hey, am I in your way? And they'll be like, But you're yeah. a gentleman, Tony. You're that oh. rare breed. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's more like that. I do yeah. hope so, but yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> It's like, I'm a huge fan of Nick Cave. I, I was since 1990. I went to every Nick Cave tour in the, in the United States when he hit, when he came here. And um, but then the one of the lot, you know, in 2013, I went. Oh, I wasn't even going to go to the 2013 show because the venue was really dumb and San Francisco was a big venue with terrible sound. Oh. Day of the show, one of his band members who I'd been in touch with some other stuff said, "Does do you have a ticket?" And I said, "No." And so his assistant put me on the bad seeds list. So the, the greatest thing about that whole concert was walking up to the door and going, I'm on the list. Which list, sir? Nick Cave in the bad seeds list. It was the, after that, everything went downhill because that was the <laughs> best moment. That's pretty cool. Well, okay, I'll, I'll top. I can't top. You yes, know, please. Okay. You know Stained? Yes. Okay. I saw them twice and uh, twice or three times in the UK. I forgot, but um, I went to see them. I, I was actually in the States and I found out that they were doing a benefit at the Hard Rock Cafe in London uh, to, for breast cancer. And I somehow miraculously within days went online and I got a ticket. So um, that was great because I was right up against um, the stage, although I went bloody deaf. Uh, and after the show, the guys were all, the band was just hanging out and um, I didn't know anybody there. And I suddenly met these people and they were, I got my photo taken with all the band and uh, they, everyone emailed me the photo because I didn't have a camera for some reason. And I didn't have a phone that would take a photo. So it's like really cool. So I kept meeting these same people at the gigs and they would hold me spaces in line so I could cut the queue and, you know, arrive late, like a, you know, red carpet treatment. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I have an autographed drumstick from Aaron Lewis. The, those, those are the best moments. Cause it's like, it, it, those, those tiny moments are the ones you just go, Oh, that was a good moment. Yeah, that's the good old days. I think to myself, yeah, that really was the good old days. It's just 
people were just so nice. I mean, I had these people at the, at the gig, they were buying me drinks. I mean, just complete strangers, just because, you know, everybody's sort of like fast friends and it was yeah. Really nice. Yeah. I, I, I like that. Yeah. There's the, when the audience is just real diehard fan and you just know the loves there and the loves in the crowd and then the loves on the stage. And it, this is so funny because one of the guys who was at this gig who took a photo of me uh, and then emailed it to me, um, uh, we, we sort of um, just became on friendly terms after that met up a, a couple of times for drinks. Uh, and he was at a, uh, he went to see stained at, um, uh, Oh dear. What's the big stadium out in, um, Oh, I can't remember. It's a huge stadium. They recently rebuilt it. It was a football stadium. Uh, and he phoned me and he's putting his, and he's playing the music from the gig. And I'm like on the phone hearing. <laughs> it's crazy, crazy, but cool, cool days. Yeah, exactly. Wait, um, oh my God. I saw Depeche Mode once in 1987. Oh, that was the time to see them. I know. And I really wish I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl. I think they played like maybe five years ago. They did like four nights. And I just let it pass me by. I, you oh. get those weird things where you're like, oh, I saw this band in the 80s or 90s. And you're just, and in my head, I'm like, I just want to keep it there. Yes. I don't want to go and ruin it again. And then I go back and then I think about it. I'm like, don't be a dummy. Just go there. You'll still have fun. You can have both memories. You don't need to have one. No, that's true. I will say that they they um, they did a, it was it was a really good show. And uh, Dave's is he's not really changed. I mean, he's still doing the same stuff he used to do yeah. when he was, you know, a lad. And um, yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if we ever get to a time when people can have gigs again and they happen to go on tour, I grab it. If, if it happens. Oh yeah. Did you know that he doesn't write the songs? Most of the songs? Yeah. I, yeah, I did know that I did that, but, but that, that voice um, makes that song. I'm sorry. There's no one else who could sing those songs. Oh, I agree. But I blew my mind because I found this out like maybe three years ago mm -hmm. that uh, is his name. Vince. Is that the blonde guy? Oh, I don't remember, but I, I saw something, probably the same thing you did where yeah. they were talking or, or an article or something about that. And they, and he also writes most of their songs from guitar. They start on guitar, hmm. which blew my mind because they're a synth band. They're not a band that comes out with the heavy chords. <laughs> but when they, I guess when they, when he's composing, the demos are on guitar, which just blows my, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, let's hope one day we'll have a normal life again. I know. Speaking of normal life, when was, what was the last show you were able to see before we got the big shutdown? I haven't been, I, you know, I think the last show, I have not been to a gig in ages. Uh, oh, actually, hang on. Um, I did go to a gig in uh, in the Vancouver, BC area. I went to see, um, do you know Michael Case Hammer? Case Hammer. Doesn't, doesn't sound familiar, no. Yeah, he's more known in Canada. He he won Juno Awards, which is their uh, their Grammys. Um, he's sort of known as the Boogie Woogie Piano Man, and he oh. puts on a really fun show. He's actually from Germany. But uh, he's they emigrated to Canada when he was a boy, uh, oh. so uh, he, yeah. So I got to see him in a tiny little venue, and I mean tiny. And I was right up front uh, with my famous bear Teddy Tuttleu, who's a music fan as well. So uh, that was that was the last gig that I saw in this very small. Um, it was actually considered a recording studio, and I know they recorded one of the uh, evenings for for a record. Oh, that's cool. Did you ever live in Canada? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm right out Canada. Let's just say I'm kind of almost Canadian because of my proximity. <laughs> of course, the border is closed, so that sort of puts yeah. a damper on things. Yeah, exactly. 
I know when at the, I, I heard somewhere the border may be opening again soon. Because I don't think Trudeau wants to let in plague-ridden Americans. Uh, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's that. I know they're doing film production up there now. Yes, they are. They are doing because I have a friend of mine who works in the industry, so they are going back into uh, production. I mean, uh, I, I'm a big uh, Coronation Street uh, fan, and Corey's the uh, British soap, and they are doing. They're in production on a, a slight on a reduced cast, and now they're integrating the masks and everything because it's a you know supposed to be a time like right now happening kind of a thing uh, that's that makes so much sense it's yeah. gonna be so weird it's gonna be so weird when all the content finally runs out from all the uh stuff i was, was wondering filmed. about that yeah, yeah because the content will run out at some point if they're not producing anything in the states but you know yeah. canada does a lot of i mean vancouver is basically where everything's shot everything from the states is pretty much shot in vancouver now I remember a uh, movie, I think it was a Jet Li movie, that, uh, this is a long time ago, they set it in Oakland, you know, and I'm from San Francisco, so it's, yeah. if you set something in the Bay Area, we, we're kind of proud of it, and they shot it in Vancouver, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it's just like, yeah. no, come to Oakland, come on! Well, you know, it's a lot of things are down to tax advantages, too. But I used to really get a kick out of all the shows that were supposedly set in Seattle. And there you see you see those that yellow hills of that. What is that sulfurous stuff across in North Vancouver? I'm like, hang on. I know that is not Seattle. Yeah. That is those. <laughs> I know. I, yeah, it's I, I love Canadian shows, though. I really get a kick out of their sci fi. They do a lot of like hokey sci fi TV up there. And it's, it shows that I should just be mad at because they're just, they're not they're not well written at all. But I just get a kick out of anything hokey sci-fi or time travel. I, I I give them a huge like you know. I'm not even gonna go talk about Doctor Who then because you probably love I Doctor love Who. I love the Doctor. Yeah, I knew you would. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like the doc. I didn't like the Doctor at first, and then I got in with uh, the one that was before David Tennant. Um, I forget what his name was. Christopher Eccleston. Yeah. With the, with the floppy, with the ears. Yeah. I call him Chris, Christopher Ears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And then the, and they did the Torchwood spinoff after that. I love that so much. Torchwood, yeah, that was a cool series. What happened to that? Did they ever continue that one? I think it just died out. But no, it was... I liked that. So, but you don't like Doctor Who, though, no? No, I'm afraid not. I'm but, afraid I never got into is, Doctor Who. What is it about the Doctor? I don't know. I just never got into it. Um, I, I, it just didn't grab me. Yeah. Did, which, which Doctor did you start on? Did you try to start with the... Uh... Chris well, Bacon. I've seen the old silly ones with that guy with that crazy hair hairdo, you know. I've never seen, yeah, that's, see, my thing is I started with the newer ones. I never yeah. saw the old ones. Yeah, the old but, ones are really, they're just pretty hokey, yeah. I, I should probably look at them. I don't know, but have you, did you try the newer ones, though? Um, I probably have watched a couple random ones. I remember the, I remember once I was in the Bay Area a few years ago, and for some reason it was on TV, and and uh, nobody was drinking or smoking any any hallucinogenic substances, and yet we just started to totally crack up because it was so ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Wait, <laughs> I, I think it's ridiculous, but there's also the uh, the. The optimistic mythology of humanity is that is that, you know. oh no wonder i didn't engage with it then <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> optimism <laughs> and humanity no <laughs> you're like this is not a, this is not something that i don't buy it no. yeah no <laughs> This is disgusting. Let's watch some French New Wave movies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's watch some Blood and Guts. Let's put yeah. Arnie on. <laughs> Arnie. <laughs>
Well, Mitzi, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Tony. Mitzi Soretto on Drinks with Tony. Check out the book she edited, The Best New Crime Stories, Small Towns. Come back next week when our, when our guest is former Baptist minister D.B. Ramsey discussing his new book, Speaking of God, We Don't Know, S-H-T. And now, a musical, a musical interlude, since we got Depeche Mode on the brain.
That was David Bowie on KPCR. Hey, thanks for listening to Drinks with Tony. I'll be in your ear next week. Yeah! You are listening to KPCR 101.9 FM, Santa Cruz.